Hey everybody, we at Podgave Rock and Roll Do You want to make it clear that we don't mean any offense by our comments, critiques, or opinions. We're not music critics, just buddies that use talking about music as an excuse to hang out. Also, our language is intended for adult ears. Enjoy! Cause I'm in the shit house Wish I played in a rock and roll band Somebody give me a dollar bill So I can pass out of the song that we're talking about this week. I look back through the 100 and, I don't know, 45 songs that we've done on here, and we've only had one that had woman in the title. So, and we used to do, like, your top three songs with this in the title, or about this, blah, blah, blah. But we didn't do that for that episode. It was our Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon by Neil Diamond episode. Mm. And we talked about crooners, which would also be appropriate, I think, somewhat not exactly for this episode but i wanted to bring back an old thing we we did since you guys are here and talk about songs with woman in the title there's so many of them if we were just talking and i said what song do you think about if i say give me a song that you love with woman in the title what would it be john i've got a woman ray charles that's a good one Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Honestly, if you would have told me that, I would have been like, is that the name of that song? But it's got to be, right? Right. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a good one. Ray Charles. There's also the Beatles song, She's a Woman, which is a very strange title. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the melody of that song. How does that go again? She's a woman. She's a woman. Oh, yeah, yeah. John, why is it strange? I mean, the pronoun she implies that the person that they're talking about is a woman. It's just, why are you just saying in the chorus, she's a woman? Because you could get away with a lot back then. Let's, let's, let's be honest. Like, lyrically, lyric, like, early Beatles isn't, like, recreating the, the lyrical universe, you know? Please, please me. Um, although that's that's fun because it, it's, it's kind of a wink-wink. Uh, Jeff, what, what about you? Give us, give us a song with a woman in the title. Yeah, I mean, ju- how about Just Like a Woman? Bob Dylan. Yeah. Also, yeah, uh, Pretty Woman, Roy Orbison comes to mind. But, I mean, there has to be hundreds, right? I mean, is it the most common word for song titles? It's got to be, like, way up there. I was thinking that, like, I was like, man, we must have done a lot of songs with woman in the title, uh, the 145, but we haven't. We've done five with girl in the title. Uh, okay. Um, so, but I was wondering, like, if you went through it, like, what would win, girl, woman? And But if you think about it, girl makes sense because a lot of rock and roll, especially when it started, kind of was for a younger audience. You're, you're talking to that teenage audience that's going to consume your records. Pretty much teenagers becoming, or, you know, becoming college students, et cetera. So you're, you're speaking to girl. I mean, you, every Chuck Berry song is about, like, a 16-year-old and that, you know. That could be complicated on its own since he was like a 35-year-old man at the time. Well, between the, between the two, at least it gives us something to write songs about. I mean, what would we write songs about if not about women? Well, yeah, women true. are definitely the most common subject of music. See, now you say women, and I'm like, we did brown-eyed women. I don't know if that counts. Would you include that as a song with woman in the title or because it's women? Plural. Ah, uh, the Plural. Yeah. That song's not really about women at all anyway, though. It's about old times. True. Right. True. Um, the one that comes to me, which I think is probably the best, like, 
song song like if you think woman is Percy Sledge when a man loves a woman oh. mm-hmm. maybe the Dylan song that you said Jeff but those are the two songs that probably stick out like if, if I'm thinking say woman like, you said Percy Sledge I'm, yeah. I'm sure you meant Michael Bolton <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna go under the covers when you hear that song, anyway. So why not? Why not back to back? Uh, my dad had the worst taste in music, and he had that Michael Bolton album when I was like ten. And bro, was, everyone had that Michael Bolton album. John, did your dad? I bet not. No. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. John, you know we had it. We probably had two copies. <laughs> Just in case the first one's got scratched. Well, yeah, I mean, you need gotta have one for the upstairs CD uh, turntable as well, you know. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh my god, that's great. Uh, John, give me, give me another one. The John Lennon song that's just called "Woman." Oh yeah. Woman, I will try to express. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's a good one. That's, that's kind of his. Every song is gonna sound like watching the wheels go round. Like you're gonna feel like you're bopping like the law yeah. up the steps on a lot yeah. of those songs at that era of Lennon. Yeah, that's a good one, Jeff. What, what about you? You got another? How about, how about Weeche Woman? But uh, primarily as a Seinfeld reference, as opposed to a song that I ever <laughs> want to hear. <laughs> wait, which Weeche? Witchy Woman. Uh, which? Yeah. I thought. I had this conversation with somebody the other day. I'm just not a huge Seinfeld guy. Oh, boy. You're in the wrong room, bro. Yeah. Wrong room. Uh, oh, no. We're two, two Jersey boys talking to a Mississippi kid. Yeah. Which is going mean, to be I'm... a bit bit of the theme of the day, I believe. We're headed yeah, down exactly. that road. Yeah, exactly. He's not going to like <laughs> Billy Joel either if he doesn't like Seinfeld. But I don't associate. I mean, you know, being from Mississippi, you don't really associate Jersey with New York if you're not from Jersey mm-hmm. or around that area, you're not like, oh, Jersey. And I think of Billy Joel is a Long Island guy, which I always thought that was New York. Right? It is, yeah. Right? Yeah. Geography 101, baby. <laughs> Tri-state area. Well, I'm on the West Coast, so number two for me is a song I love called "L.A. Woman" by The Doors. Yeah, and I love that song too. That that's one that as a band we never covered, but I always wanted to because it's such a kick-ass song. I'm not a huge Doors guy in general, but I do love that song. I think the Doors, like, a little bit suck, personally. But I really like that song. We, we did a Doors episode. It's in the archives, uh, listeners. But we had a whole conversation about that. Why are the Doors... And also, relevant to tonight. Because a lot of people hate the Doors, and a lot of people really love the Doors. And they have a lot of really great songs. As does Billy Joel, which we'll get to later. But let's do one more song with Woman. John... I don't think I have another one. I gave two. All right. <laughs> how about uh, how about no woman, no cry? There you go. Oh. As as we look forward to this Bob Marley biopic that looks so so dumb, um, <laughs> but it, it could surprise. I don't know. What's but the deal? It, the previews just don't look good. You know. I, Is anyone I famous know. in it? He's a that guy. He's been in a lot of stuff lately. Younger actor. He's a that guy. He's a that guy. And, but that's funny, too, because No Woman, No Cry, I listened to a lot in high school and college, and they're talking mm-hmm. about woman, not girl. He's, like, he's not going to the younger audience, but the younger audience really took to that song, I feel like. I'm going to go with Black Magic Woman, which originally was by the Peter Green Fleetwood Mac, and then mm-hmm. Santana, I think, made it what it, is, what it is known today, Black Magic Woman, which also could apply to the song we're talking about tonight. So... On that note, 
you were listening to Pod gave um, easy listening. I mean, rock and roll to you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, tonight we are, as Jeff mentioned, the end of last episode, talking about a gaping hole uh, in our oeuvre with Billy Joel and his song, She's Always a Woman, from the 1978 album, The Stranger, written by Billy Joel and produced by Phil Ramone and released on Columbia. And the most she will do is throw shadows at you, but she's always a woman to me. I like this song a lot. It's not my favorite Billy Joel song. That corner is reserved um, probably for Vienna. But Josh said I needed something popular enough to get them clicks. So we had to pull out something a little more um, billboardy. But this choice really was more than anything an excuse to discuss a really interesting and kind of often misclassified artist or maybe to just begin the conversation of how to even classify this artist because there's a lot of debate and it seems really hard to nail him down into a genre almost and I think talking about a a misclassified artist through a song that is also often misunderstood is an interesting window into this topic. Billy Joel was a loved artist in my household, at least. I kind of grouped him in with Elton and Phil Collins in the 80s as like these pop hit factories whose songs that I knew by heart, even though I owned none of their records and had no desire to buy any of their records, come down to it. My parents were Billy Joel fans. So, you know, this is one of the many songs that I knew of his. It's inarguably a beautiful song. And, you know, knowing this kind of came from his cooler period, uh... (laughs) Makes, for what makes it's worth. Sense, you know? <laughs> well, it's, it's less poppy and more raw, raw than his later stuff, you know? This isn't We Didn't Start the Fire or, you know, no. Uptown Girl. It's it's more impactful and less a product for consumption, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's a piece of a larger work of art, you know, which is The Stranger, that he was putting a lot, of, lot more emotion, emotion into this, it feels like, than the aforementioned Uptown Girl and... Uh, we didn't start the fire. But yeah, you know, the feeling in the song draws you in. The melody, the lyric, the vocal, tightly produced, like three minutes, 21 seconds. And it makes you feel something. So we'll determine what it makes us feel in a few minutes. But it's more impactful than even like Just the Way You Are, which is a song I like to listen to more, I think. But I think that it is more impactful because there's more ambiguity. There's more you know uncertainty like this is everything is so certain without being certain if that that makes sense in the song and that's why the song is is a good listen for me i'm glad that you in your introduction mentioned that your parents loved billy joel i'm sure that jeff's parents loved billy joel i can definitely say that my parents loved billy joel (laughs) for sure i think that what brings everyone in to billy joel everyone our age, that is, is that their parents loved <laughs> Billy Joel. Yeah. This is one of my rock maxims that Jeff was referring to. I've often said, you might want your friends to be fish heads, but you want your parents <laughs> to love Billy Joel. <laughs> you know, I, I, I can't disagree with that. So, And given that we've all grown up listening to Billy Joel... 
there's something very comforting about Billy Joel to me. There's something, but it's also in the music. His music is very accessible. Yeah. He is not the voice of his generation, but he is the voice of the common man. Yeah. He means a lot to a lot of people who don't take music as seriously as people like us, maybe. Which is to his credit. He is like a cornerstone in the life of boomers. They, yeah. He was there with them the whole time. And he comes across as one of them, as a regular guy. He's not a tortured soul, which we'll probably get into this a lot more as we continue to discuss. But rock criticism tends to come from, as Billy Joel would say, the perspective of the angry young man. Mm-hmm. Yeah which is a character that he was able to do away with in three verses. But when you get a little older, you um, learn that a B-plus is fine. And Billy Joel, for me, is a warm and comfortable B-plus artist. Yeah. I, and just to tag along to that and tie this song into it, like, Billy Joel is not writing songs, like you said, for the college graduate, per se. You know, like, this is an artist that the Trumpers love and the, the Libs love, to, to an extent. <laughs> because I think most of the hatred of Billy Joel comes from a rock critique, elitist vantage point. And, and like we, we talked about earlier, you're talking about someone, or you're talking about a genre of music that's kind of, you know, the, the birth of it was about talking to younger people but in a song like this somebody that's working blue collar can understand and anybody else can understand you know it doesn't matter your level of education or, or what kind of job you have you know anybody can understand like she's always a woman and what a woman can do to you that you're that in love with and to put it so beautifully like it's one of those songs that i feel like women obviously love it should they i don't know but men it's one of those songs that men may not say, I love this song, but they do. You know, they're like, hmm, that's a, that's a good one. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful song. She can kill with a smile. She can wound with her eyes. And she can ruin your faith with her casual lies. Like, what's the barrier, right? I agree with everything you guys have said. He's certainly not in my top tier. But what keeps him from being there? Is there like like a, a pop directive like a less seriousness about the art well i can't i can't speak for like the critical reception but for me like i listen to the album of the song every day right so i listen to the stranger today you, you can't seriously listen to the stranger as a even as a rock critic and be like god this is a bunch of schlock you know i don't right. know if all of that b plus ceiling came from uptown girls and kind of dumb catchy you know easy on the ears pop music that he came out with later like i I don't know what his reception was in the 70s because like we just established our parents all of our parents loved him so for for a certain age they all loved him and then maybe he became uncool in the 80s you almost think like he stops making music after the stranger right and that's kind of his Mm -hmm. crowning achievement fifth album i know there's a handful of good ones right but he stops making music after The Stranger, and you think he's received completely differently without, like, the schlock pop turn, uh, tunes from the 80s? 
I think becoming a sellout was just such a horrible thing back then mm-hmm. that if you take a respected career, which again, I don't, you know, I can't imagine people didn't think he was a respectable musician at this time because, you know, vocally he's he's amazing, uh, melodically his songs are are gorgeous, and you know, just as a songwriter, you can't really argue with what he's putting out in the seventies. In my opinion. Um, and this song encapsulates that. I, I don't agree that it has anything to do with the 80s output. I'm pretty sure that people thought he was schlocky from the get-go all throughout the 70s. I, I, I know that all three of our sets of parents love him, but I don't think our parents are like rock critic type people. No. You know what I think has something to do with it? He really does not present himself as a strange person, as an eccentric type. He presents himself as someone who has his shit together. Mm -hmm. In his lyrics, it's true, he does express uh, some sort of tortured soul, but I think he comes across as an average guy. And I think the 60s generation wanted something more edgy and dangerous from people who they were going to give a hero status to. Like there's nothing courageous about what he's doing. He just doesn't bear like an open wound on that, like the way that John Lennon seems tortured and um, Mick Jagger seems like a crazy wild man, mm-hmm. and Keith Richards is a crazy wild man, and the Grateful Dead were, you know, anti-establishment, and on and on and on. Well, I think you could also look at it in a different way of like when I said with Elton and Phil Collins. So if you com- compare the three, you know, Elton had some like really rock and roll albums that are like were like critically acclaimed like really high octane barrel house blues country he was just exploring genres phil collins was a part of genesis which was like this prog rock band billy joel came out with like she's got away i think was his first hit and then piano man and and, you know and then uh just the way you are and she's always a woman i mean his hits were all just slow ballads you know he's kind of writing songs for women he's not really writing songs for girls He's writing songs for people who have lived a little bit and have experienced some shit. It's not the blues, but it's a different kind of living and a different kind of experience that related to a lot of people. Is, is that just like kind of the point that we're not seeing the forest through the trees? Is that like his best songs are just not rock songs? And so it we're never going to put him in like the echelon of like elite rock. The thing is, though, there's other people we could name who would get respect, who are very soft. Like, for instance, the other sort of great from New York at the time, Paul Simon. Yeah. Why is Paul Simon so much more respected than Billy Joel? Yeah, it's a great question. He's not a rocker either. He doesn't, right. Well, you know, Paul Simon was a more, more folkier, I mean, Simon and Garfunkel was a more folkier act. They were doing something at the time that was cool, right? I mean, Billy Joel didn't come out to the 70s. So Simon and Garfunkel was releasing shit in the 60s. That was, you know, that's a good precursor to Billy Joel. I mean, especially this song. I mean, this song is, you know, he said, she's always a woman. I wanted it to sound like a folk song, you know, like Gordon Lightfoot or something. He does that to a certain extent. It does sound like a folk song. It has a lot of Simon and Garfunkel in it. I mean, that's probably why I really like the song. And, you know, Paul Simon, I think, was writing songs about it wasn't just about a woman I mean there was there's a lot more depth 
to Simon and Gar Garfunkel songs than there is to Billy Joel songs. And Billy Joel songs are pretty straightforward. Like, this is this is what this is about, and this is who this is targeting. You mean just as a subject matter? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Oh, she takes care of herself. She can wait if she wants. But I think the impressive thing that you get from this, his sound, to me at least, as we establish I'm not from New York, when I hear like the glitz and the glamour of like Sinatra's New York, I do, I find him in the same avenue of New York as you know Scorsese, Mean Streets, Paul Simon's working class. Here's what the regular man is going through and what they need to hear, right? Yeah, I think that's a good point. I just want to draw attention to, we, you know, you're not from the coast, Josh, but you've been a coastal elite for quite a while now. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's so true. In short, I think it's a mystery. I think about it all the time, and I have no idea Dude, exactly I know. why. It's My, driving me crazy. Me too. Myself, in, myself included. Yeah. I, can't, I can't put him above B+. And it's never exactly clear why. As we're talking this out, the only thing I could put, like, I can kind of wrap my head around is the potentiality that it's a genre thing. That the man's best songs are theatrical ballads. It's not in the folk yeah. tradition, really, and it's not in the rock tradition in the way that our heroes are. And I think yeah. that combined with the point you made earlier, John, about looking for you know, an edginess and a cur like a courage or some kind of anti-establishment bent also like gives you this kind of rock cred. Yeah. Let's let's try to disprove some doubters and because I'm a, it sounds like we all like this song, right? Yeah. For yeah. sure. So, let let's just dive in a little bit to this song particularly. For me, the best part is the melody. It's a gorgeous melody. The, the peak being that little, I don't know if it's even a key change because he comes back so quickly halfway through the, through the chorus is awesome. Like, I mean, that's just vocally very hard to pull off uh, as well as he does. Um, and just making such a weird, weird change. I mean, the song is in E flat and he kind of goes to like a minor seventh of the chord midway through the chorus. And that's just... It's a change you don't see very often, and it really just kind of like brings his voice up. It adds a little more emotion to, to what he's doing. Well, the hums especially are like that melodic flourish is so Simon and Garfunkel. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> it's just like you hear that, you're like, huh? And it's not rock. It's easy listening, and it is easy, and it's super pleasant. But there's just a lot of melodic flourishes in there. A lot of sevenths, just like Lovesick Blues. And there's like a lot of chords in the song. It's not like, here's one, four, five. Like, he's doing a lot of different things at different points in the song. Yeah, I think that's right. For me, the melody is up there in terms of the progression and melody comes from a lineage of tension and release that dates really best to classical music. And that's really what he's steeped in, in terms of his composition. Oh, um, yeah. So I, I think there are such familiar tension and release points and, you know, those the sevenths that come and the slight key bends on your ear that come through in those moments in choruses and in bridges that are that are so familiar because they're really almost like a part of um, 
you know, the earth at this point. I think the way this, this song is quite challenging is the lyric. Because it's a very multi-interpreted lyric. For me, the lyric is right up with the melody as the strength of the song. And just some of the kind of like quippy, clever back and forths, but also that he claims it's just really simple. That it's like, it's completely <laughs> misunderstood by a majority of people. He's writing this song about a particular woman, his wife at the time. His wife is his manager. She's kind of a strong personality, which is rare at the time in the music industry. And people just kind of were talking shit about her. And this is like basically in his, according to him, is a defense of her saying interesting yeah and saying like you guys say all these things like that's what she is to you and that's how she's conducting herself in business or that's what her the perception is to the outside world but to me she's a woman and and he means that in an endearing way so i didn't know it was about other people's perception of her because by the end of the lyric i i, I was thinking like it, it's almost like this is a like sad sack in love similar to last week who sees all the red flags but he ignores them because she's she's always a woman like it, it's almost like women can't be as manipulative and uh and and shitty as men because they're just they're just a woman totally um, if you don't know it's about a particular person who has this particular personality who's being talked about in this particular way He's on the record multiple times. People ask him about it because the song comes under fire quite consistently from like a feminist standpoint, right? For for obvious yeah. reasons, if you don't know the backstory. And maybe there's still reasons to dig into that side of the interpretation as well. I'll, I'll leave the existential corner to our existential expert in Boston, <laughs> John. But, um, But you say that, but then you like start off with that, you know, she she can kill with a smile, she can wound with her eyes, she can ruin your face. I mean, kill, wound, ruin. Exactly, I know. I am familiar with Billy's comments about the song, about that it's about his wife, and that interpretation of the song, and that is interesting to know. But he certainly is being somewhat disingenuous when he says that that <laughs> is the only meaning of the song, because... As jo those lines Josh was just quoting are more about he did universalize the meaning of the song at a certain point and begin to make it about the tortured love between in a classical sense everybody has heard men say women can't live with them can't live without them yeah it's it's like that to sort of update that take. I think you can universalize the song even further. It doesn't have to be about a man complaining about a woman. It surely, at least as often, it's the man who is the stubborn asshole in the, in the relationship. And this song, in an existential sense, is about a partner giving in to the cruelties of his spouse or of her spouse. Yeah. Being the bigger person, you might say. Everybody has that moment in a relationship where they have to just eat shit in order to stop a fight. And they, they know in their heart as they eat the shit that it's not fair. 
it, but but they just have someone has to stop the fight. It, it, it's true. It's almost like in that last verse, he's like, "But she'll bring out the best," and it's almost like a meek attempt at saying, "Like she'll bring out the best." When everything else you said is like she's the worst, and <laughs> it's like I'm gonna try to convince myself that this is all worth it. And I feel that the narrator is simultaneously pathetic and extremely dignified. The narrator of that song is very mature. He's grown up. He's um, accepted. He's loving in spite of flaw. Of sinfulness. I guess it's, that's it's, true if you don't think the tagline is an, an insult. That she's always a woman to me? Yeah. He says all these yeah, exactly. cruel things about her. I don't think like, it's an insult. She's always a woman to me. It's almost like, eh, she's just a woman. bit more color as well. The the, the relationship she ha- he has with this woman is notoriously rocky and fraught and they do end up splitting up of course so i mean maybe obviously (laughs) (laughs) so maybe despite the external views potentially of her maybe uh he's harboring some of those views internally as well the the most she will do is throw shadows at you like you said she could do a lot worse the entire song and then now at the end you're gonna be like the most she can do is throw shadows at you but she's i actually i i found that an amazing no no but i i I hear you i hear you but i i had a beautiful take on that line i was thinking about that earlier today lovers cause each other such pain oftentimes fighting fighting quarreling 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 Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and in the end but at the end of the day like really like more pain most pain that people probably feel throughout their life is caused struggling with their spouse but that line the most she will do is throw shadows at you in a certain sense that what that made me think of is how many other bigger problems there really are than just emotional tats you know spats that you have with your your husband or wife true but he's setting her up to be this like really impressive vindictive manipulative woman in the entirety of the rest of the song it's almost like he tries to lessen the blow at the very end which yes can be sweet (laughs) but also can lead back to that because she's just a woman (laughs) like that's all she can do like it's not like she can do anything but my my favorite (laughs) my favorite part of the lyric and i think the, the the best is she does the uh during, during that little chorus change, which I love so much, she goes, oh, she takes care of herself. She can wait if she wants. She's ahead of her time. Oh, and she never gets out, and she never gives in. She just changes her mind, which to me... Yeah, what a punchline. To me, the changes yep. her mind is the most devastating because it's like it's like the silent treatment of everything he's saying about her. It is the most aggravating. He sets that up to this. This is the most aggravating that she could do. She just changes her mind. Well, right, when the girl says she changes her mind, she's not giving Billy any credit for having been... He didn't win the argument. She changed her mind. That's the... Yeah. Which he can't. Which We've all been in arguments where she just changes her mind, and yeah. she could be wrong, but you just kind of got to be like, all right. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> oh, and she never gives out. And she never gives you can't walk away from how impressive this guy's vocal is. Uh, I think that 
you know, it is very dramatic and theatrical, and maybe that's why people don't love it and want, think it's kind of schlocky. But I don't think it's very, I don't think it's cheesy. Like, I think that he has incredible tone. I think he has, like, a top-level register and delivery. There's just not many singers that can do what he does vocally. You know, you're, you're getting into, like, McCartney, Elton John. I mean, male singers. Let's, let's caveat that. There seems to be this kind of pervasive Elton John versus Billy Joel debate that's just like so different. You have to pick so one different. over the other for some reason. But yeah, I mean, obviously they're super different, but for some reason they're constantly compared and you have to like choose what team you're on. Like you can't be like, you know, you can't be Dave Matthews head and also a fish head or an also a widespread <laughs> panic head. Like how could you like all three yeah. of those super similar bands? You have to pick. <laughs> Well, Elton, Elton always got more respect, yes. but I like Billy mm-hmm. more. I probably like more of his songs. See, that's the thing with Billy, is everybody says Billy sucks except Miami 2017, except For the Longest Time, except She's Always a Woman, and they realize that there's 30 songs. And also, Elton, Elton wrote the music, Billy wrote the music and the lyrics. So, yep. you know, there's there's something to say as well. We, before we move on, we do need to mention this was produced by Phil Ramone, whose uh, real name, I think, was Philip Rabinowitz. Uh, he was a co-founder of A&R, worked with Coltrane and Dylan, and a lot of the folk singers, Peter, Paul, and Mary, oh, early on. He also produced this album and... Um, Still crazy after all these years, two years before this album, uh, by Paul Simon. So you, you, you see the similarities there. Or you hear, you know. They did make this sound like a folk song. And I love how the tone of the song is set with just a very powerful piano that like creates this feeling of loneliness, whether that's isolation or being lost, whatever. And then you get this like arpeggioed acoustic guitar come in at the first She's Always a Woman. And it just sounds so good. I could do without the wind instruments in the choruses, not going to lie. It just feels a little out of place for a Billy Joel song like this. But other than that, I mean, pr- production-wise, it's, it's, it's pretty flawless. Yeah, you know, he always is well-produced. His band is always good. My note about the music was I was thinking of the exact same chord that you mentioned earlier when you started talking about the chord progression. Yeah. The, yeah, in, in the first of all, the chorus sounds kind of like a bridge instead of the chorus, yes. which is which is interesting. I think I might have been playing it in, in a different key than you, but I was going to an E off of a B flat at that line when he says, "She just changes her mind." That that chord structure is awesome. I was playing it over and over and over again, and it sounded like. It started to just get classical on piano. It's a beautiful chord progression. When he goes to that chorus, he's going to a minor. That's why it sounds like a Brit. I think what stands out, though, again, is how he changes midway. And it's like a small like little key change, almost, that just really does so much to, to the song. Yeah. But before we move on, let's mention his band. You got Billy Joel on vocals, acoustic piano, Fender Rhodes keyboard synthesizers, Richie Kanata organ, any horns you hear, Hiram Bullock electric guitar, Steve Kahn on six and twelve string electric guitars and acoustic guitars, 
Hugh McCracken, acoustic guitar, Steve Berg, acoustic guitar, Doug Stegmeyer, bass, Liberty DeVito, drums, what a name, <laughs> and uh, Patrick Williams doing the orchestration, which I thought was out of place, but that's that's a lot of band. I'm, I'm going to guess that not everybody that I just named played on this song. But that's what the album lists. Oh, I. Uh, so, what is even on this song? Yeah, I thought it was just a piano, acoustic guitar. I heard a flute. Yeah, I mean it's 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 pretty Bass. sparse, right? Yeah. I, I honestly thinking about it now, are there drums? Hey. No, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. No, no drums. <laughs> so, a couple fun facts: this song peaked at 17 in the U.S. in 1978. It peaked. It, Got on the British charts in 86 at number 53, and then again in the UK in 2010. And it was the B-side to Just the Way You Are. Oh, no shit. Yeah. So, Jeff, you ready to bring us into the vibe time? Mm-hmm. All right. Bring us in in three, two, one. Oh, she takes care of herself. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Jeff Joel, everyone. Um, all right, Jeff, it's your song. When do you want to hear this song, Jeff, specifically? Uh, definitely good uh, late night song. Everyone else is asleep, doing the dishes, kitchen's quiet, something like that. Yeah, just alone and a quiet at night. That's what I would say. Okay, okay. John, what about you? It really does not matter exactly when and where I hear this song because anytime I hear this song or any other Billy Joel song, I'm in the backseat of my parents' car. I'm I'm 12 years old and I am a kid again. You're just like, this is such a B plus, man. That's the point. It reminds me of a time in who I was before I judged music the way – before I became pretentious. I'm enjoying it on a pre-pretentious music yeah. critic pre-tentious. rocker level. Yeah, fuck yeah. Right. Like right next to right. La Bamba. Right. You're like, look, I'm okay with a 3-3 all through college. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, but that is that is one thing, and not to, to this, this doesn't denigrate Billy Joel, but like it, because he's a piano guy, like you, this is background music, so it's not a song that like I have to listen to and then like immediately become enraptured by. It could just come on, and at some point during the song, I'd be like, "Cool, I like this song," and then go back to doing what I was doing and just enjoy, enjoy the ambiance while I'm doing it. But specifically for me, I want to hear this song like in a clean vinyl booth with like some velvet trim. Uh, dark hickory tabletop. All right, dim seventies lighting. <laughs> this fucking picture. guy. This, this you know, <laughs> not a dive bar, but like a somewhat fancy bar in a city. It doesn't have to be New York City. And I want to be like with my lady either before or after a fight, because there's like a buildup of mixed emotions to something, like either to the fight or to the makeup sex. Right. That's like the setting, and this song is like own in the bar. That's when I want to hear it. Man, <laughs> dude just got the correct answer. Well, maybe when we get through these these this segment of the pod, you should just tell us the right answer. <laughs> well, speaking of a 70s lighting fixture and a vinyl booth, uh, I think that's time to slide under the influence, fellas. 
Uh, we've mentioned a lot of them. Um, I'll, I'll start us off here. Like the hums, I said Simon and Garfunkel, specifically like the song America, they do that at the beginning. It's very similar. More modern, I want to say like James Gray's Babylon, if y'all remember that song. Yeah, for sure. And it feels like Lady Gaga may, for like a time, have taken like the air Dude. to Billy Joel's like piano New York City vibe throne. You know? Lady Gaga was on my list as well. I thought now, it was well, really fucking clever. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, uh, well, what what else was on your list, Jeff? Well, it's kind of interesting. It's like it's it's easier to find what's influenced him than the artists that he has influenced, right? It's sure. like going backwards is a little bit easier, but going forwards was a little tricky because like this uh, genre of like theatrical ballads, which is we're all agreeing is like the best part of Billy Joel, right? Like on, yeah. on the average, right? Like, of course there's some outliers here and there that are good otherwise, but like who sings theatrical ballads? I mean, Lady Gaga's a great call. If you go down that, that thought line, there's the other one came to mind is uh, Ben folds or like um, that's a good one yeah or who's the who's the dude who sings um something gray why can't i think of this dude's name he sings yeah, that David. really sad song about his dad dying well, it could be the same guy or, ba- the babylon guy's name is david gray oh no that's not who i'm thinking about i'm thinking about that guy who sings that song goodbye my lover goodbye my friend one that I thought about is there's a modern band arctic monkeys that came out with this weird just piano ballad album called Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino. Some heavy Billy Joel vibes there as well. James Blunt, wow. by the way. Uh, y'all oh, yeah, James Blunt. Great call. Dude, James Blunt has like two earth-shakingly deep and sad songs that like whenever I hear them, I have to like turn them off if I don't want to tear up. You're Beautiful is not one of them, right? No. No, he has a song called... Um, about his father dying that is just like ah. it's like soul cutting it's really really wow. beautiful well yeah and harry chapin's a contemporary that you would say like is in the village old vein of, of music as well john what about you what'd you hear i was fixated on the lyrics and so this is going to come out of left field probably leonard cohen That's not, I, can, I felt i can hear that I think Leonard Cohen would say, lyrically, this is a Jewish song. Interesting. The way that... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, seriously. But Leonard Cohen went on and on about the broken hallelujah is a phrase that he used Mm. in in a song. And he, 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 he just always spoke. He felt that there was something in the Jewish character that was supposed to embrace love as a transcending of sinfulness of human cruelty and and truly accepting people as they are in reality not as an idealized romanticized version of them i I think that this song lyrically does that beautifully and yeah okay yeah okay well uh speaking of beautiful and and love and uh, always a woman i think it's time to finally slide under the covers and talk about the covers of these of this song which john you can get us started here give us a cover you heard that you liked or didn't like i'm gonna assume there were none that you liked because i didn't find one that i did the best one was by wonder woman linda carter really no shit yes. <laughs> i did not hear that one 
It was pretty good. It had like a folk rock vibe, sort of. It was, uh, there was piano, but there was acoustic guitar. She had a pretty nice voice, actually. Interesting. I'm going to have to listen to that one. Jeff, I'm going to come to you last because I know you got one you want to talk about. Um, I heard just a bunch of like the voice American Idol versions of this that were so cheesy, like (laughs) produced. And, And I would throw the one that was released that got his back on the UK charts in 2010 by a guy named Fife Dangerfield into that category. And I'd also throw Groban, which I know you're going to mention in there as well, Jeff. But there's one I want to point out that I didn't know this, but there's a the Muzak version. Oh, that makes guess, sense. Well, Muzak, I, I read about it. I can't believe y'all didn't see this, but their version of this song used to play in one of the lobbies of the World Trade Center. And there is, like I guess, a video from 9-11 where somebody's videoing like the guy falling out of a window and like you can hear the, the song in the video. Oh, dude and it's, it's wild <laughs> um and but i listened to the song without watching the footage and it, it's it's very nice but you know that's 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 heavy yep so just guess just little, uh not so fun fact on to josh groban on to uh <laughs> so on jeff to... what about you well the only cover that's available <laughs> broadly is a cover by josh groban so, I mean, I've got a stock 10 minutes, give or take, to do on Josh Groban, but... Um, it's so bad. It's so bad. So bad. Oh, for fuck's sake, it's so bad. <laughs> okay, so it, it was it made for the, the 25 to 35-year-old women who loved this song when it came out, now at 55 right. to yeah. 65? Like, that's, like, the audience? And did they actually like the song? I, I just so but, terrible. But John, like, how did Josh Groban even become a thing? <laughs> that's what I was wondering the other day. It's very odd, isn't it? Not, but it's not that odd. I mean, it's a crooner. No, know, it's not a crooner. It's an <laughs> opera. Crooner. It's an opera singer That's that all of a sudden, in, like, 2005 was on the radio. It was very strange. So you think he's different than, like, Buble because he yeah. was an opera singer. And Buble is just a crooner. Like, he goes back to, like, the yeah, Bing Buble, Crosby Yeah, Buble is trying to be like Frank Sinatra yeah. and bringing, bringing that back. Josh Groban is, tr- you know, honestly singing with, like, an operatic, <laughs> deep, full-throated voice. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like, ah, no. My only theory is that it was the recording industry trying to get another Andrea Bocelli. He uh, had been in the like late nineties. Yeah, that's true. He had had some heavy he fucking doing, rules. Like, Italian shit. Bocelli you know, like, rules. Right. He wasn't recreating like American rock music or easy listening music. It was just. Why isn't this song covered though? I pull up like every song, and I I expect there to be you know famous songs like songs that would end up on your podcast like. I expect. Is it common that you guys run through songs that you can't find covers for? Uh, there like, are some. There are some songs that like songs that are this this popular. Songs that are more popular. Yeah, really. Like, we did all on the Watchtower a while back, and you know that that's a Hendrix cover, and then you have Dave Matthews version, and then there's really not more much more hmm. like Watchtower covers that aren't live versions from a jam band. Right. Not this isn't the same as that, but I think. This is a very difficult song to sing. Like, you kind of have to be a professional singer to sing something like this. My, it, my bad. So, my bad, Josh. 
hey, I'm not. I'm very Can't nervous to hear it. about doing this cover because again, I'm not a. I'm not like trained classically, which I think you kind of have to do. And when you do that, you get a lot of American Idol, the voice people doing this with cheeseball production. There's just mm-hmm. not a lot of like piano players out there that are this talented that can no. recreate this on their own. You know? Well, it's while like, I think you could handle it, bro, I'm 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 quite sure no one would be disappointed if you just do Uptown Girl instead. <laughs> Amora, we didn't start the fire guy, so uh, I learned that in sixth grade. That was one of the songs we did. So, uh, <laughs> what do you mean in like chorus? Yeah, we did. I think the reason I think the reason there's no good covers goes back to the beginning conversation we had, which is that who are the people who are going to cover Billy Joel? Awesome. There are a lot of covers of this song. It's just that they all suck, and that's because you know, sadly, there's a certain. I think people who we would want to hear don't like Billy Joel. Yeah, I know. I know you say that. <laughs> that it could be that simple. I, yeah, I'm having this feeling yeah. though that like I'm liking him more av- after this conversation. Like I'm finding like more of an affection towards him. Of like I've I, never disliked him. So, yeah, like, right. I, I've right. never really understood why he gets such pushback. Really, that's so. I mean, that, that's just ridiculous. Um, but what isn't ridiculous is wearing shoes. So, Jeff, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's your song. So, what what uh, how does the shoe fit for? Uh, She's always a woman. You know what I think my corner of this podcast is going to be is the guy who's just so bad at this part of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I actually was like, like a few days ago, I was like, okay, the shoe thing. All right, I'm going to give this some real thought and think of like a shoe metaphor for Billy Joel. Josh is so good at this, I don't want to let him down. And I like came out with like, man, this shoe is such a penny loafer. But I don't. I have no justification whatsoever for why it is. <laughs> I'm truly is bad it, at this. Are we part. talking about like tassels? Or are we talking like a a, a good looking like leather, black, brown, like casual or socks? No socks. Thanks for walking me through your process. I'm starting. Yeah, to, right. Yeah, this, this is, is how Josh really does useful. it, right? So, <laughs> right. I, I mean, I'm thinking in in my head, it's black. Okay. And it's like slick. So you're yeah, going no out. tassels for sure. You're dressing up. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> not a it's not a cheap penny loafer. You're not 14. Like you're, 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 there's some dress. He's like an acting coach. There's some dress socks on. Like you're putting on a nice pair of dress socks. Maybe yep. maybe yep. some colorful dress socks to mm-hmm. like add some flair. Yeah, yeah they feel the, feel the socks feel argyle to me as well. Oh, I like that. Maybe you'll end up at that bar mm-hmm. I was talking about in five times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, John, what about you? How does the shoe fit? I think I'm making Josh proud with this one, Jeff. Let's yeah. do it. It's a pair of shoes that I wear every single day and will always wear every single day for the rest of my life, <laughs> even though there is a pebble stuck somewhere inside them that I can never get out. <laughs> I, like I it. take it off my shoe more than once a day. Shake I it reach out. around and I shake it, it. I shake. I think it's out, and every time I put the shoe back on, that pebble is still in the Preach. shoe. Look, the, the the most it can do is throw shadows at you, but it's always a pebble. You know. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say it gives you blisters, but the pebble's even better. <laughs> yep. Uh, okay, I'm gonna go a little bit out of left field here. So this fits like 
a black high heel that I am like on the floor at the foot of the bed removing from a woman I am obsessed with but know that it's not going to end well but obviously I'm still going to do it and then that's, that's well you're going to you're going to you're going to try on the high heel that's what you're going to do <laughs> <laughs> oh well you know what as billy joel does we'll leave that we'll leave that answer up to the listener and then I'll come back later and and say what you know what it really means um but on that note uh our cover of Billy Joel's She's Always a Woman. She can kill with a smile She can wound with her eyes She can ruin your faith With her casual eyes And she only reveals What she wants you to see She hides like a child But she's always a woman to me she can lead you to love, she can take you or leave you She can ask for the truth, but she'll never believe And she'll take what you give her as long as it's free She steals like a thief, but she's always a woman to me Oh, she takes care of herself she can wait if she wants She's ahead of her time Oh, and she never gives up And she never gives in She just changes her mind And she'll promise you more than the Garden of Eden then she'll carelessly cut you and laugh while you're bleeding But she'll bring out the best and the worst you can be Blame it all on yourself cause she's always a woman to me The cover you just heard was performed by Robbie Gross and Josh Bond. 
Thanks for listening to Pod Gabe Rock and Roll to you. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and rate on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. If you'd like to communicate with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram under the handle at PodGabeRock. Next week is John's week, so John, what will we be discussing? A Pair of Brown Eyes by the Pogues. Can't wait! <laughs>